0: Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you would like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message.
1: Continue worship now through the study of God's Word. We're back in Exodus, so grab your Bibles, your devices. Let's go to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus 6, we're gonna start again back in verse 10 to recap and catch us up, but we'll be in Exodus uh, this morning, and for the remaining weeks leading into the summer, we'll do something different in the summer, and then we'll jump back in in the fall. So I'm looking forward to all of that. And the way that the Lord has led us to lay all of this out is something beautiful, When we get to Easter weekend, we will be studying the 10th plague of the Passover lamb. So we're gonna study the Passover on Easter Sunday, but what's beautiful about that is on Good Friday, we're gonna have a Good Friday service in here and we're gonna participate in a Passover meal together. So mark your calendars, it'll be all families, so no childcare, we're gonna just sit as families or as roommates, we're gonna figure out all the table situation, we're gonna, we're gonna participate in a Passover Seder together uh, at seven o'clock on Good Friday, April 15th, which I think is another important day for some reason in our country, uh, but more importantly, uh, Passover, and so we're gonna, we're gonna do that together. And my hope, uh, as I've been praying through it, is that this would really root us in the history of what we're gonna celebrate that Sunday morning. It gives us some depth of understanding, particularly walking through uh, this story of, of Exodus. So mark your calendars for that. Everyone is invited. Uh, no, Siri, I will not try again. Uh, we'll all do that together. Technology. All right, so this morning, here comes some scriptures here on the screen. We're going to go through chapter six, but I'm going to reference a bunch of different ones, so you may want to write this down, take a picture of it. I, just, I want you to know I'm not making it up. It's in here. And so you can go back and, and read some of these accounts. I might even reference other ones that aren't on the screen, but that's the plan for this morning. Uh, it's been a hectic morning already for many of us. I don't know if you feel that way. You feel like all of a sudden, life has just spun completely out of control, right? Things, things were fine, And now it's like all the things are happening. The sports are happening, graduations are happening, marriages are happening. It's just, it's unbelievable. And this morning was kind of a microcosm of that for us. So as we study this morning, I'm praying the Lord roots our hearts uh, and gives us a chance to settle in here. So we will pick up in Exodus 6, just to recap quickly. The people of God, called the Hebrews at this point, um, or the Israelites, have been in captivity in Egypt for 430 years. They move there because there is a famine, And so they came to Egypt. And there was a a man there, a Hebrew man, who had risen to power with that Pharaoh at the time. His name was Joseph. He had a colorful coat. And Joseph uh, interpreted dreams for the Pharaoh. He rescued his family who was coming from from famine uh, in, in Canaan. They've all come in. And so now there's a ton of Israelites in Egypt. And this new Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. And this new Pharaoh... Is furious that there's so many Israelites, and he's nervous about what's going to happen if they align with other countries and they'll overtake Egypt, the superpower at the time. And so he decides he puts an edict out that they're going to uh, kill every male ch- uh, Hebrew child who is born. They want to kill him before he, as he is born. That plan goes out. Hebrew uh, women are fearful. The cries of mothers and babies go throughout the land. And there's one brave mother. Um, who takes this edict, and Pharaoh says, I want you to throw all these babies in the Nile River. And she takes her baby, and she places him in a basket, also called an ark, and says, I'll put him in the river, and so she does, and he floats down the river. His name is Moses. His name is Moses because Pharaoh's daughter is bathing at the time in at the Nile River, finds this baby, and draws him out of the water. Moses means to draw out. He draws him out of the water. Long story short, Moses ends up working in the courts of Pharaoh. He finds favor with Pharaoh, and uh, at the age of 40, he recognizes that his Hebrew people are being beaten in slavery, and so he goes out to to fix it, and he ends up killing an Egyptian slave master, buries him in the sand, word gets out, and he has to run from Pharaoh, so he runs out to the wilderness. He's there for 40 years, uh, meets a woman at a well, they get married, they have babies. Then around the age of 80, God calls Moses back into Egypt. He speaks to him through a burning bush and says, it's you, it's you. I want you to come back into Egypt and set my people free. Moses has all the excuses, explains why he can't, and God says, I don't really care. If you're gonna do this. And so he does, and he comes back with his brother, Aaron, comes into Egypt and attempts to set God's people free. At this point in the story, Moses has kind of talked to Pharaoh, kind of suggested they move out and go out to the wilderness to worship, and Pharaoh's like, I don't, I don't know who you are, so no. And I don't know who this God is you're talking about, so also no. And so that's kind of where we left off in chapter six. I don't know if you've had this experience um, as you've gotten older, and you hear about somebody from high school who is doing something amazing in the world, and your reaction is, him? You have that? Do you have friends like that? Because he was the one who was who was in detention or ISS for most of his high school career, and now he's building rockets or something, or he's performing brain surgery. Do you have friends like that? And you're like, you sure? It's the same one? Like that? It's the same. It's the same James. That's the one. Yeah. The one with the sister and the brother. Yeah. The one with the mohawk. Yeah, that's the one. Really? He's a judge now. Yeah. Yeah. He's a judge. I don't know if you, if you have those moments. Well, at this point in the story, remember Moses is the one who's written this account. And at this point in the story, scholars would tell you there's probably some confusion in the land because they're hearing about this Moses and Aaron and they know things about Moses and Aaron. And so they're asking, you sure? Like, are you sure? Because I know a Moses. But well, that dude's crazy. And I know an Aaron, but his kid's Like, we couldn't keep hanging out with him and his family because his kids are crazy. So it's not that Aaron. So there's this moment here where Moses takes the time to remind us, no, 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 yeah, it's me. and It's me and Aaron, the two of us. Yeah, it's us. And I don't know if you have this experience with your kids um, when they're telling stories and they talk about their friends as if you have known their friends forever. Or do you have family members like this who only call people by their first name? And you might live across the country from them and your mom's like, oh, I hung out with Jan today. Mom, I don't know who Jan is, I have no idea. You know Jan, I don't know, I don't know Jan. Well, here's what happens here in this, in this portion of scripture is a genealogy. And I know we love genealogy, so you've been waiting for this moment. But this, this is key, this is a crucial moment of what's happening in the story of the Exodus. So let's go to verse 10, I wanna read through verse 30. I'm gonna teach some Hebrew Uh, literature structure, which is exciting to go along with genealogies, and then we're going to see how this matters to us. Exodus chapter six, verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. It's just a, a phrase, meaning he's got some kind of speech impediment. He thinks, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Then verse 14 feels like a complete break in the story. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi are the clans of Reuben. Clans meaning uh, groups of families. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amron, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Malhi, and Mushi. That's a sweet name. These are the names, the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram, all right, Amram took his wife Jacobed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took as his wife Elishaba the daughter of Amminadab and the sitter of Nashon. And she bore him Nabad, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Azir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. And these are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Peteul, and she bore him Phineas, who met a friend named Ferb. (laughs) It's not in yours, that's not in yours. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans, and these are the the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. So on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold... I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Well, that was fun. Genealogy uh, in scripture, and I, I know we just breeze past them, and if you're doing the, year, the Bible in a year plan, you figure I'm not gonna waste my time, right? You just don't. Uh, I'll get through it, I'll come back to it. And so genealogies, we just, they don't matter much to us. Uh, with the rise of some new technology and mail-in kits, now maybe you care about your genealogy, and if you wanna give the government your DNA, that's fine. But uh, this genealogy of scripture, they matter. They matter for a multitude of of reasons, key of which being in a genealogy, particularly here, whoever's writing it picks and chooses who they put in their genealogy to communicate something. They're trying to tell us something. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, and you remember there is a promise given to Eve in Genesis three, that from her offspring would come the Savior who would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent bit his heel. So the Bible begins telling us to look for an offspring. So every single genealogy should clue us into this is part of that story. This is part of what's happening. And so this genealogy, though, is interesting with where it fits in this story. Because if you're paying attention, we're well into Moses' life. He's 80-something years old now. This would have been useful information six chapters ago. Right, like now, now, now. Yes, because it's on purpose as to why now. We didn't need to know any of this information leading up to now, but now we need to know this genealogy. So if you can bear with me over the next 40 minutes or so, we're we're gonna dig into the genealogy. And I hope that it begins to open uh, some things for our mind and hearts and understanding of who God is. Now on the screen, you're gonna see, we're gonna call it X because we're English. And this is the letter X, but for a Greek Uh, person in the Greek language, this X is the word is called chi. Say chi. C-H-I. Okay. Now, I don't want you to, I want you to pay attention to how it looks. Look at what an X looks like. Do you see how an X is two V's on top of each other? Or it's almost a funnel and then it goes back out. Do you see it? All right. So in ancient Hebrew literature, and even, even today for many of us, in much of literature, there's something called the chiastic structure, C-H-I, chiastic, or a chiasm. And it's not about the letter X, it's about what the letter X looks like. So it begins, it funnels to a point, and then it comes back out. And the beginning and the end are the same, but often they're in reverse. Does that make sense? Two triangles upside down on one another. This is called the chiastic structure, particularly here in Hebrew literature. But the truth is, we have sayings in America that are built on this same kind of chiastic structure. So I'll begin the phrase, you finish it. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. I said going and tough, you said tough and going. Do you see it, the chiastic structure? Here's another one. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. The chiastic structure begins, funnels, and then splits back out, and it repeats itself, but, in a, but backwards. Here's a great piece of poetry from 1970. If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with, chiastic structure. Now, if you were paying attention, you might have felt it happen here in these verses. Let's go back up uh, to verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, now pay attention, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Now watch this in 13. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt to bring the people out of the land of Egypt. So that's the top of our chiasm. Now, if we get down to verses 28 through 30, you're gonna see this same thing in reverse. Verse 28, on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. Verse 30, but Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Do you see it? begins and ends with the same phrasing. And so this for us, if you're reading scriptures, why we have to pay attention and don't just just check the box and don't read as quickly as you can through it, take your time. If it takes you all year to read Exodus 6, that's fine. I really believe that's okay. So this is what's happening. So what this does in a chiastic structure is that it it becomes a picture frame for the picture of what's in the middle. If you go to an art museum, which I know all of you, all the people, we go to art museums all the time, Uh, But you do, right after you go hunting, you go stop by the Met. Uh, But you're looking at art. Maybe you're just at your mom's house and she's got a cross-stitch framed. And so you're looking at that. Um, Very rarely are you staring at it and you say, mom, that's a beautiful frame. The point of the frame is not the frame. The point of the frame is what's inside the frame, right? That's the point. And the more beautiful the frame, often the more beautiful the art that is put in there. So this is the point of chiastic structure. It's meant to frame something for us to pay attention to. So you've gotta pay attention. This is keying us in on something. What is inside the chiasm here is what's important. So then what is the frame? Because the frame's gonna tell us how important and what the context is of what's happening inside the frame. Well, the frame from verses 10 to 13 and then 28 to 30 is that Moses is questioning whether or not he's the one to do what God has called him to do. That's the frame. The frame is Moses saying, the Israelites won't listen to me. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? I've got a problem speaking. It's at the beginning and the end. It frames in the genealogy. So what's happening, what Moses is doing is he's using the genealogy to answer his question, how can I be the one? How can I be the one? So we're going to look at this in two different ways. And the first is this is the greatness of the sovereign hand of God. You're going to see that first, I'm going to lay that out first, of how great God's sovereign plan is. And then I want to show you the goodness of God through His grace to His people. You're going to see both of them, and they both answer Moses' question: "Why me? Are you sure it's me? Can I be the one?" So let's first look at the sovereign plan of God and how his hand works, uh, often in the darkness and behind the scenes, but it's been working from the beginning of time. I'm gonna show you this genealogy, and this will help you if you're like me, you wanna be more visual. The words are fine on the page, but this is kind of what's happening here. So we talk about Reuben and Simeon and Levi, and these are all sons of, of Jacob, and they would, be called, they would become the 12 tribes. These are three of the 12. Joseph is one of their brothers. Judah is another one. But Moses focuses on Levi, because Moses likes a good pair of jeans. And so Moses that, that was bad, I'm sorry uh, Because Levi is the head of what we call the priestly line. From Levi, in his genealogy, come all the priests of the Old Testament, priests. The role of a priest is to show the world what God is like. They ran the temple, they handled sacrifices. They all come from Levi, this son of Jacob. He tells us about Levi's line, about Gershon and Merari, and we learn about their sons, but he focuses on Kohath. And then from there, we meet Amram, who is Moses' father, Amram. And Moses' father marries a woman named Jochebed, and that's his mother. So we keep following that dark line, and from there we get Aaron. Because later on, when we get into Deuteronomy and into Leviticus, the Levitical line of priests now hits Aaron, and from Aaron comes the line of the high priest. This all began before time began. God had a plan, and in this plan, he's working through Abraham's family, Abraham, Isaac, Gave birth to Isaac, Isaac gave birth to Jacob, and Jacob gave birth to Levi. And Levi then passed this all the way down to even Aaron's sons, Eleazar, Nadab, uh, Abihu, Ithamar, and then Eleazar had a son named Phinehas. So that's the picture of what's happening. God is setting something up for this time and for the future of the priesthoods to show the world what he is like. And he's done this through a man named Levi that passes all the way down through to Aaron. Eventually, this line would point to Jesus himself. This is how important this is. And so Moses asked the question, how can it be me? Because my people won't listen to me. They hate me. Pharaoh thinks I'm a joke, and I don't even speak well. We've been through this. And so Moses takes a step back and he answers his own question with his genealogy. He looks backwards to move forwards. And so he now looks at this plan, the sovereign plan of God. So it's as if Moses is saying, I can't go in and talk to Pharaoh. Like, who who am I? The people of Israel don't listen. But what he's saying in the genealogy is this. Hold on a second. I'm part of the Levite. And Aaron, my brother, is the chief or high priest, and the priestly line comes from him. I am exactly the kind of person who should go in to make intercession for the people of Israel. I'm in this line. The role of the priest to intercede on behalf of the people, that's exactly what I'm doing. So for many of us, here's what happens. When God calls us to something and we throw up excuses and we talk about um, our issues and our problems, how people don't like us and, and whatever, what we're expecting is for God to be like your grandmother. And say, oh, baby, it's okay. I know, I know, you're, you're beautiful. You're, you're the best looking grandson I have. And you're smart too. Because you have fixed my internet three times since you've been here. And you can, you can do it. And then she'll take some verse out of context by doing all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then you'll feel like, well, yeah, then I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go ask that girl to prom. Because grandma just gave me what I needed. Well, as much as God is kind and gracious, he's not like that. So what God does to Moses is that God reminds Moses, listen, I'm not an idiot. In fact, from the beginning of time, I've planned this day for you. And I have given you what you need. And you are actually the very person qualified to go in there and have this conversation. Because priests intercede for the people. And that is what I'm calling you to do. So maybe God's called you to something. Maybe he's invited you into some part of the journey you didn't see coming. And you're throwing up your hands saying, I can't, I can't, I'm not good enough, I don't have this gift, I'm not qualified, um, I'm not big enough or tall enough or old enough. And what if you just took a step back and thought about where God has brought you from and where He brought you to? And then what if you started to realize, oh my gosh, it has to be me. It is me. My whole life has led to this moment. When, when my parents moved here and I moved to this school and met this person, then this happened and that happened, we see Acts 17. It's, it's God who determines the boundary places and times in which we will live. So the first thing that is pointed out here is that God is sovereign in his plan. He hasn't made a mistake with Moses. In fact, he has created Moses for this very moment. And I'll go a step further and tell you this. Moses could not have done what he needs to do if he would have stayed in Egypt. Moses had to be a shepherd in the wilderness because he was being called to lead God's flock through the wilderness. Every moment of Moses' life has pointed to this moment here and Aaron as well. The sovereign hand of God, when he calls us to something, is indisputable. Now, on the flip side is that Moses chose who to include in this genealogy. I don't don't know how you go about things, um, but I like to project the best parts of myself first. That's how I like to communicate who I am. Maybe you're better than me, and you're like, here's all my garbage. That's fine, good for you. Uh, But I bet you're not on social media. Right. So social media for us is that it's I'm going to communicate here, man, look how great my life is. Everybody smile now. You take a picture. Just a sweet, loving family. That's how that's what we do. You get the best moments of your life. It's your highlight reel. And then you make everybody else think that's how your life is. And they start to pretend that's how their life is. And the truth is no one's life is that way. Right. No one. Quit lying about it. None of you. None of it is like that. So, um, but Moses here, he picks some peculiar people to put in this genealogy that he knows he's writing down. He knows all of this. And the people he chooses are messy, like really messy, like might make you feel good about yourself kind of messy today. But if you're paying attention to the whole of scripture, that's the whole Bible, The whole Bible is full of people just like that. So we've looked at the sovereign plan of God through his greatness. Look at his goodness here. Verse 14 in the genealogy. These are the heads of the father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Israel is the name that Jacob was given. Hanok, Palu, Hezron, Carmi, these are the clans of Reuben. Now back in Genesis chapter 35, this great Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, had an improper sexual relationship with his father's concubine. I mean, sexually deviant Reuben. First person that Moses lists is Reuben. Verse 15, and these are the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, ohad Jachin, Zohar, Ja'ul, the son of a Canaanite woman, Whole other sermon, uh, but these are the sons, uh, clans of Simeon. Now Genesis chapter thirty-four, Simeon and Levi. It's just weird. It's just weird and gross and disturbing and disgusting. But at the end of the day, Genesis thirty-four, Simeon and Levi. So they've called all the men to be circumcised. They said, if you're gonna follow like we follow, then all you grown-up men have to be circumcised, which I'm like, I'm gonna find other friends. I don't think I'm gonna follow (laughs) you. Um, But they do, and as the men circumcise themselves, they become weak, because you're weak thinking about it, man, or right now, but if it actually happened. And so they take, they capitalize on the weakness of, of those men to avenge the rape of their sister, and they kill all of them. Murderers. Manipulators, this Simeon and Levi. Verse 16, these are the names of the, of the sons of Levi according to their generations. I'm not gonna read those names again. Verse 17, the sons of Gershon. Verse 18, the sons of Kohath. Verse 19, the sons of Merari. Then verse 20, Amram, Moses' dad, took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister. Did you read it? Moses' dad married his aunt and then had children with his aunt. Now, you can say the law wasn't passed down yet from Leviticus to do all that. All the law does is codify what's already evil. You should never marry your aunt. I don't care if you're from Alabama, you should not marry your aunt. (laughs) Roll tide. You shouldn't. It's it's evil. There's all the genealogy. And again, we're we're one generation removed from this evil. One generation. This is Moses' father. And he didn't have to put this in here. He could have just said Amram, and then Amram had me. And Amram was great. But he adds this in because there's something happening that he's trying to tell us. Verse 21, the sons of Ishar Verse 22, the sons of Uziel. Verse 23, Aaron took as his wife, Elishabah, the daughter of Amminadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now, two of those sons became really great priests. Two of them did not. Nahab and Abihu, in Numbers chapter three, take advantage of their priesthood, and they end up offering, the Bible just calls it strange fire to the Lord. And God kills them on the spot. Aaron is a priest. And he's got crazy kids. So I don't want to hear you talking about my kids. They're fine. (laughs) They're just fine. But this is Aaron, verse uh, 24. It gets worse, the sons of Korah. Well, Korah was the one in Numbers chapter 16 who rebels against Moses and Aaron. And in fact, God is so upset with this rebellion that God takes the entire clan of the Korahites and they are swallowed up, Number 16, they're swallowed up by the ground. This is the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. Verse 25, Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife on the daughters of uh, Petiel, she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. Then verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses. Because there are people saying, are you sure? Like of all the people on the earth, God wants them. These are the ones. This Moses. You know his dad married his aunt. You know, You understand that, right? Like what kind of family was that that he grew up in? You understand generations back. You, 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 know about, you know about his great, 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 great grandfather, Reuben. You know about that, right? Like that, Moses and Aaron? Yeah? Yeah, but Aaron, have you met his kids? Surely you mean, a di- like Aaron's a common It's got to be a different Aaron. No, no, no. I'll give you his genealogy. It's this Aaron. This. This is the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people from Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. And as if their genealogies weren't bad enough, we know a lot about Moses, don't we? Moses is a murderer and a man who runs from consequences. Moses is a man who agreed to obey the Lord knowing the whole time he had a secret sin he hadn't dealt with yet. This Moses, this is who God's gonna use. Yeah. Yeah, this one. And you're sure this is the Aaron? Because you remember Aaron is the one when they finally got the 10 commandments. Aaron is the one who's helping to construct golden idols for them to worship. This priest. You sure it's that's the Aaron that God's using? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the Aaron. Verse 27. It was they. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people from Egypt, of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. So Moses is questioning: Am I? Are we sure? Because he hears the cries of the people. He knows they—they don't trust him. They know he knows what they feel about him, and he knows his own history. He knows. He knows where he struggles. He knows where his secret sins are. He knows his past. And he's like, God, are you sure? Because I've tried it with my people, they don't like me. How will Pharaoh ever listen? Plus, you know me, you know. Like, you know my lip problem, I can't do it. And God reminds them of two things. First of all is this. I planned this day for you generations ago. And every move of your life has been ordained by my sovereign hand to get you at this place at this time for these people. So I'm pretty sure it's you. And I know you're broken. I knew Abraham was broken. I knew Noah was broken. I knew Jacob was broken and Isaac was broken. I knew Reuben was broken. I knew all of it. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to follow me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's you. Well, that's all fine and good, but the problem for us in the church is I'm not sure we actually believe that. Because it sounds great that God is gracious and that God calls people like Aaron and Moses to do incredibly miraculous things through the sovereign hand of God. But we all know that person, don't we? Who we figure God would never use. Well, here's what's gonna happen in five or 10 years in your life. You're gonna look back and be like, him? And God's gonna be like, yup, him. Her? I was married to her, you sure? Yeah, her, I'm using her. Now there's a lot of places I could go illustration-wise to help with this, but um, I saw this years ago and there's no, I, can't, I can't do this any better. So I wanna play a video uh, for you by a guy named Matt Chandler and then I'm gonna come back up and close this out.
0: It didn't take long um, before my passion for the gospel and, and my passion to see lost men and women saved um, s- started to rub against or collide with the church. And, and so it wasn't very long and, and I, I won't, I, I can give you dozens and dozens of stories, but, but really one that kind of broke the camel's back, where I decided if I was going to do this, I wasn't going to do it as a churchman, because the church, more often than not, was an enemy of conversion and not its friend. I'll give you an example. Um, this turn in me, this break in me happened that God has been just disciplining me on ever since. Uh, Occurred my freshman year of college when um, I randomly sat next to a, I'm a freshman in college, I'm sitting next to a 26-year-old single mother who's coming back to school to try to get a degree, never been to church, didn't know much about Jesus, didn't know, and so we began this ongoing dialogue uh, about the grace and mercy of Christ in the cross and so um, me and some of my crew go over to her house and babysit her daughter she's actually in an extramarital affair at the time with a married man and and so we've talked through that the wisdom in that Um, this is the relationship we had, just kind of serving her and trying to explain to her spiritual things. A friend of mine was playing at a church in the area, and, and so I asked her to come. He was a musician, and um, and so I said, "Hey, a good friend of mine's in a band. He's playing. Um, why, why don't you come? Why, why don't you come hear him?" And and so she agreed. She thought it would be a concert. I knew better. It was shady. It was excellent, and um, she came with me, and and we listened to Robbie play, and and he was tremendous, just a real anointed guy. And then. The the minister got up and he said, today I want to talk to you about sex. And so I immediately go, "Uh, uh uh-oh, this could be a problem. And and he took a red rose and he smelled it and he showed how pretty it was and then he threw it out into the crowd. He goes, everybody needs to smell this. There's about a thousand of us there, almost all of us college and high school. Smell the rose, I want you to smell it, I want you to touch it, I want you to see the texture in it. Do it, do it, and I'm going to teach. And and then he began what honestly, up until this day, and this might have to do with my heart, I'm still wrestling, um was one of the worst, most horrific handlings of what sex is and what it isn't that I ever sat through. It was fear-mongering at, the, at its best. It was, um, you don't want syphilis, do you? And everybody's smiling and having a good time until there's herpes on your lip, And you, right? And so I'm just thinking with Kim beside me, what are you doing? What are you doing? And and then as it wraps up, he goes, "Where's my where's my rose? Where where, where is it? Where's, where's my rose?" And you know, some kid came up. The rose is just completely jacked up. It's broken. The things are off. The petals are broken. And and he lifts it up. And his big crescendo. I mean, his point is to hold up that rose and go. Now, who would want this? Who would want this rose? And I remember feeling anger like real legitimate I want to hurt him anger and it was all I could do not to scream out Jesus wants the rose that's the point of the gospel that Jesus wants the rose That he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ won. You're not even teaching the basics of our faith.
1: So I don't. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how broken things are in the past. Chandler goes on to say, in spite of our past failures and present struggles, the plan and work of God move inevitably forward through broken people. Messy pasts and broken presents do not disqualify us from God's sovereign plan. In fact, they qualify us for it. We can church this up all we want. And we could talk about qualifications and how you have to, we can do that all you want. But if I, as I read scripture, I don't see one perfect man or woman used by God outside of the son of God, Jesus himself. I see broken, messy people. So maybe God's called you to something today. And maybe your argument is, yeah, but don't you know? Yes, he knows. Yes. And from the beginning of time, God had a day planned for you. And he moved every piece around, every relationship, every job, every transfer, every move, Every interaction at the grocery store, he moved the pieces around, and he got you to this moment, at this time, to hear this truth about who he is and who you are in him. And he has planned a priestly line for you from the beginning of time. So yeah, he's sure it's you. And you say, "Yeah, but don't you know, when I've had these issues, and I, I wrestle with this, and I still have this addiction. And I don't have my kids under control and God says, I know. Because those are the people that I use to bring about my glory in the world. And so maybe for some of you, you've been sitting in these maroon chairs for years. Because you know how jacked up you are. And you say, yeah, but God can never. Let's go to lunch. And I'll tell you my story. And I'll tell you, as I look back on my life, there's not a doubt that God has me here at this time for these people in this place. I can't deny it. I want to sometimes. And there are men and women in this room today who would tell you everything they've been through has led them to a moment of being used to bring about the salvation of many. So maybe you're saying, yeah, I can't have that conversation with my son. I've got too much in my past. I know. And that's why God gave you that son, for that conversation. Well, I I can never be the one to baptize my daughter. Yeah, but you can. I can never be the one to tell my college-aged kid about marriage. My marriage, the past for me, marriedly, is a wreck. I know. And maybe that's why God has you with that son or that daughter to have that conversation. Messy and broken people who God uses. The whole point of the genealogy is this, that we're just men. We're not superheroes. Moses and Aaron aren't superheroes. They don't have some crazy foreign blood running through them. They're just men like you and me who are doing the best they can with what they have. So the question for us this morning is what do we do then? Well, I think first you have to look back to look forward. So maybe what's holding you back is the fact that you don't trust that you're the one. Well, maybe you need to take some time this afternoon, maybe right now. And ask the Lord to bring to your mind the way that he has sovereignly and methodically and like a surgeon put together your life to get you to this place with these people at this time. And maybe, just maybe, you need to read scripture a little bit differently and start to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Reuben, and Moses, and Aaron, and David, and Peter, and Timothy, and John, not as heroes, but as men like you and me. And then secondly, I think we need to repent. You know what helps us to move forward is to repent of what's in the present or in the past. And then we move forward walking in grace. Practically speaking, I would encourage you to come on Friday nights to One Way and sit among people who don't feel the need to pretend that they're good and hear them talk about the things God has done in their life that week and hear them worship and worship with them. But maybe you're here this morning and you just feel like you're out. You had your chance and now it's out. I would say don't believe the lie of the enemy. If God can use Moses and Aaron, God can use me. He can surely use you. But you bow your heads and close your eyes? It's this moment for Moses where things are about to get serious and change for him. And he's wrestling if God's made a mistake. It's what it comes down to. He thinks that maybe God made a mistake with him. And the path of correction for God is not to tell him how great he is. The path of correction for God to Moses is to remind Moses how great God is. And to point him back to all the things that he's done, the places he's brought him through and to to get him to this very moment. To bring him face to face with all the junk that he's done, all the junk he's been a part of, all the junk he's seen, all of it. And to remind him, I've forgiven you of that too. I know who you are, I know what you've done, I know where you've come from. Now I'm giving you a new chance to trust me. I don't know how many of you today, maybe you feel like Moses or Aaron, you feel disqualified, you feel like you threw that chance away. And now you're just stuck doing whatever you're doing until the day you die. Do you believe a man rose from the grave? Then you can believe this too, that God's not done with you. So if that's you today, and you just feel like I've, I've thrown it all away, or maybe you're uncertain about what the future even looks like, and you don't feel good enough, you don't feel qualified, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Just raise your hands. I, I, yeah. Thank you for your boldness and honesty. There's a God who specializes in bringing order to chaos and redeeming what is broken. And that includes you. And maybe some of us today, we, um, we don't feel like the broken one. Maybe we're married to what we think is a broken one. I just wanna challenge you here this morning. Speak words of truth over your husband or your wife, not words of the enemy in defeat. There's always a chance. There's always hope. And restoration is on the horizon. Father, I love you. I am blown away. Uh, by your grace and mercy in my life and in the life of my family, I am captivated by your sovereign hand. As I look back on my life and see the things that I thought were inconsequential were actually things that you were divinely orchestrating to write this symphony of my life. And God, I am encouraged to know that you use people like Moses and Aaron and Reuben and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob I'm grateful for friends in the room today who have reminded me of that, who have lived it, and who haven't given up on me. God, would you make us a church of people who believe it to be true about you, that you don't make mistakes and you don't kick us when we're down, but you're a God of redemption and restoration. that we would cling to the truth of Romans 8. You're a God who works all things together for good. For those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. So would you fill us uh, with the same spirit and power and boldness that we're going to see Moses walk with in the next few weeks? Give us courage to move forward. After we've allowed the past to become aligned in your sovereign plan. In Jesus' name.